Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a, pe- a preacher and a apostle and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turn away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. Reading of God's Word. Sarah had to read those names, not me. <laughs> Y'all should consider the name Hermogenes for your next child. Again, one of those underused biblical names. Um, we, are, we have started last week a, a series in 2 Timothy, relatively brief pastoral epistle. We will be in it for a month or two, not too long. But uh, I reminded you as we started last week, this is a letter. This is a personal letter. So some of the things that we're going to read in here will strike you that way. He says things like, uh, please try to get here before winter, and please bring me a good coat. It's cold. It's that personal. Or he names names. In this case of people who had been faithful or those who had been unfaithful. This is a personal letter that we get to see the Apostle writing. It's the last letter he wrote that we know of in his life, that he was in now a true Roman prison, not under house arrest, but chained to the wall. Basically, he says, I'm just, I'm in chains, I'm cold, and preparing to die. And tradition ascribes, we don't know for sure, but tradition ascribes that he did die. So we're, we're reading the words of a man who thought he was about to die and what he wanted to communicate to his son in the faith, Timothy. And so we have to take these words, this short letter, with, I think, a lot of seriousness, because when you know your time is short, you don't waste words. So let's look together, because he gives us some things that I think we can take away. This young pastor, Timothy, young in comparison to Paul anyway. Last week we talked about how Paul encourages him to fan the flame. T- Timothy is certainly in some ways fearful. He says, don't be timid. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear but he's given you a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. We talked about that last week. And then this moves right into perhaps why Timothy was timid, why he was feeling uh, a little put off. He says this, Therefore, in verse 8, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, 
his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. I was in uh, college. I remember very clearly um, a bunch of us were in a lounge in a dorm, and I walked into a conversation with maybe a dozen people standing around, and the RA, it's older, up, we were all freshmen, older, upperclassmen was talking, and I don't know how the conversation got started or what the context was, but when I walked in, uh, I had been a Christian for about a year and a half. I became a Christian in my junior year of high school, and I went off to college, and, and uh, I, the words that he was saying were something along the lines of, talking about Jesus being God and miracles and the Bible and, and kind of the, the whole idea was, you know, like, who, who believes that? Like, I mean, you know, it's, who, who actually, I mean, do, are there people who actually believe that's true? Of course, this person's an RA, he's in a little more position of power. We're just there, we relatively, uh, new into the freshman year of college. And I remember just sitting there, and nobody said anything, and I think they were probably like, yeah, who, who believes that? And you know, when you get into an atmosphere and environment where you've got to be the, the change, and I remember very specifically feeling this prompting of, if not you, right now, here's your moment. Like, do you believe this or not? I had been a Christian maybe, like I say, about 18 months, and clearly no one else was going to say anything. And so in my squeaky voice, my freshman voice at William & Mary, I said, um, I do. And, you know, you definitely, I mean, you could have heard a pin drop before, but, you, you know, you, then, then you're the one, because they didn't even know I just walked into the lounge, and I remember everyone looking at me. And the RA didn't really know what to say to that. We didn't really know each other. And there was this awkward silence. And he didn't fortunately ask me to defend it, but what I realized was there was there was a sense of at that point of shame because I was going to be the ignorant religious freak. That was sort of how it was presented. Who would actually in our culture believe that there's a God, that there's one way to heaven? Who would actually believe that? You stand up and you say, I believe Jesus Christ is unique, not like any other God. You think in his day, in Paul's day, or in our day, that's embraced? People go, woo, yeah, we love that. You haven't been around the culture long, have you then? At least not in ours. There's a sense of shame. How can you be like that? For Paul, in a Roman prison, the, the Pax Romana, the Roman peace, was revered in that culture. To be a lawbreaker was a shame because you would disturb the peace, and that's what made Rome a great culture. So for Paul to be in prison, he had to have done something wrong. I think we can all understand that. Sometimes you, we just sort of think, well, if there's smoke, there's fire, right? Well, sometimes, but sometimes not. Now, had he broken the law? According to Rome, he had. What had he done? He had proclaimed the gospel. And there was a sense of, I can't associate with him anymore. And there were people, some that he names, Vigilus and Hermogenes, they've turned away from me. Probably because to be associated with him at that point 
would have marred them, would have been ashamed. So there's the first thing that Paul encourages Timothy to do is don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. And don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Now maybe you think, I can't, I can't relate to that. I can tell you I can. I've gone, both as a pastor, before I was a pastor, I've, I've visited people uh, in prison or in rehab or in situations or circumstances. I remember sitting at one point in a rehab center waiting to see someone, and uh, somebody came down and said, your, your, your child in here too? This person was just so distraught. And you know what my first reaction was? Oh, no, 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 not my kid. Why? Why would I? Why would I think to say that? I, fortunately, I have enough, barely enough savvy not to say it like that. <laughs> but that was my reaction. Was I wanted them to know? No, no, I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm just visiting someone a pastoral call because that's acceptable. But to say no, I'm, I'm here. I just, I just remember to sort of put my hand on their shoulder and say, it's tough, isn't it? But my sense was, well, no, no, it's not me. I'm not touched by that. Because there was some sort of shame of being associated with some, something that's not perfect, right? Not exactly right. I remember meeting someone 2008 who had told me, yeah, I just lost a bunch of money. There's this guy named Bertie Madoff. Nobody had heard of him at that point. But about 24 hours later, we all heard of him, but a guy that I know lost all this money. And I remember... At the time, thinking, oh, that's terrible. And then when I heard about Bernie Madoff, you know what I thought about this guy who'd lost all this money? Was, there was something in me that wanted to sort of back away because something, something to associate with something that was shameful. I know what that's like. And for us as Christians, we live in a day and an age where to stand up for Christian truth is now becoming potentially more and more shameful. And it wasn't that way 50 or 100 years ago. It wasn't easy, but it was different. And I read this, I read a call to courage. We don't have to be egotistical. We don't have to be screechy. We, don't, we can be winsome. But to stand up for the truth in our own testimony, in the testimony of the Lord, and say, Jesus Christ has changed my life. And I embrace Him and His truth and His way. And I'm not forcing you to do that. I don't, I, it's not, it's okay. If you don't, that's fine. But I do. And for Timothy to sit in prison and to associate and to come to him and to not say, well, Paul, yeah, I, th- I think I know him. I, I mean, I, I've heard of Paul. I mean, we're not that close. You think, well, I would never do that. Well, I'm sure Peter didn't think he'd do that either. But he's sitting around a fire and they say, you're, you're one of Jesus' guys, aren't you? At the moment of Jesus' greatest shame, because there was no greater shame than the cross. And he says, well, I, I, no, no, I'm not really one of Jesus' guys. No, no, I saw you around, I saw, I've seen you around him before. I, th- I know, no, it is not me. If you think you could never be in that situation where you would take the easy road and say, um, uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. You're a what? A nothing. <clears throat> Just clearing my throat. I don't know about you, but I, I pray you don't. But let's not fool ourselves into thinking that 
We're not capable of it. I can tell you I'm just a couple days away from any, almost any sin if I don't let the Holy Spirit and don't let prayer mark my life. So he says, don't be ashamed. Timothy, as a young leader, share with me in the suffering. Don't be ashamed. Share with me. Now, Timothy's not going to crawl into the cell with him, so how does he share in the suffering? How does he actually do that? We have two words in this verse 8 that are really, really important to the entire book of 2 Timothy. Ashamed. The word there in verse 8. 2 Timothy 1.8, don't be ashamed of the testimony. That word carries the meaning of being singled out because you've put your confidence in something shameful. So for someone who put his confidence in Bernie Madoff, it was his association that made it shameful. Or someone who put his confidence. I was with, I remember mediating between two friends when I was a young man, and they were at odds with one another. And I defended one named Bob, and some other friends of mine defended another named Jim, and we were sort of advocating for the two of them in our small group at church. And I was like, you know, Bob's fine, he's done well. And I learned later, I didn't know Bob that well, but it turned out he was a pathological liar and a heroin addict, and I didn't know it. But my reputation, because I had staked it on someone I didn't know, I think everybody understood that I got fooled, but I'm telling you, it was a shame because I had aligned myself with something unworthy, with someone, and I had put my reputation behind someone unworthy. The second word that he uses there is, uh, again, still in verse 8, don't be ashamed of the testimony, but share in the suffering. Share in the suffering. So the word there for to suffer... Syncacapathio means to suffer with them because of your close association with them. So I suffered with my backing of Bob because of my close association with him. But Paul says, keep reading with me, God has saved us, called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Not because Paul was a great guy or Timothy was a great guy or they had chosen Christ, but because God's purpose was on Paul and on Timothy. His purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began. Look at me at verse 11. I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, and that's why I suffer as I do. Because Paul was unwilling to do anything but speak his mind, they didn't have freedom of speech in Rome, he was willing to suffer because of the truth, and here's why. Verse 12, this is why I suffer. I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what's been entrusted to me. Unlike my situation with Bob, the reason that Paul could encourage Timothy to suffer, this young man that he's so fond of, and he says, it's, it's okay. 
to be associated with me, even though in Romans' eyes it might seem shameful. It's okay to go through hard times. Why? Because I know whom I have believed. Paul knew Jesus. And ultimately, it wasn't Paul that was the source of the shame. It was associating with Jesus, with that shameful cross, with the shame of saying, Jesus is the one and only. And he says, I can say all those things and I can believe all that and embrace all this because I know the one I've believed. If you don't know Jesus, if, again, if you, if you just know about Him, if you think church is a good idea because it'll somehow help you or your children or whatever, when the day comes when your time and they say, who believes here? Who's, who's a hate-filled bigot? And you'll say, well, not, not me. Okay, good. I'm glad you're not that kind of Christian. You think that won't happen? Happened during Senate testimony in June when an undersecretary was asked if he believed Jesus was the only way to heaven by a senator. And he says, I do. And he says, you're unfit to serve in the government. I'm going to give you the testimony if you want, but it's here. The guy had the guts to try to, you know, it's not an appropriate question. It's illegal according to our Constitution. But, but just know that this isn't theoretical, guys. That your Christianity, your faith is either real and deeply rooted in one you have known and one you know, or when the pressure comes on, it just won't be worth it. Because if you don't know him, it isn't worth the humiliation and the shame and the suffering. But if you do, oh my gosh, is it worth it? Because this life is a blip. It is a breath, and it will be over and you will see the one you have known, and you'll say, how could I ever for a second thought it wouldn't be worth saying, I love my Lord Jesus. Jesus said it like this in Luke 9, 26. And he says, the day comes, and if you're ashamed of me, same word, if you're ashamed of me, I'll have to be ashamed of you. Why? Tit for tat? Is Jesus like, yeah, you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. He says, no, because you didn't know me. You'll be like that person who comes and says, Lord, Lord, you never knew me. Heaven isn't for those who believe doctrine correctly. It's for those who know Jesus. I'm sure I'm wrong in half my doctrine. I hope I'm at least half right. But that's not what gets you there. It's Jesus. It's trusting in him. Third thing that he tells him to do. Well, let me just say this. I, I do want to say, because next week we'll mark one year, my colleague Andrew Brunson is an uh, EPC pastor. He's been in Turkey for 23 years. He's out of a church in Montreat, North Carolina. And Andrew will be one year in a Turkish prison next week. His crime is that he preached the gospel and that the Turkish government needed somebody to hold hostage to get a cleric that the current Turkish president wants. Andrew is in a cell. Andrew is suffering. Andrew's like Paul in that sense. I don't know how he's doing. We, we, the denomination and the family has no contact with him. But we live in a day and an age where if we think there's not a price to pay in many quarters, we pay a little now. Culture's changing a bit, but we still enjoy great freedom. 
I'm thankful for every freedom we have. Let's be really aware of standing beside our brothers and sisters all over the world. It's not just that one. Andrew's just one of many who suffer for the gospel. Third thing he says that uh, Timothy uh, is told by Paul, so it's, don't be ashamed, join me in suffering. And he says, maintain the pattern of sound teaching. So this is in verse 13, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. This comes, this is a reiteration of the earlier pastoral epistle in 1 Timothy 6, verse 13, where he says, Timothy, take hold of the eternal life to which you're called. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and to all, uh, to all things and of Christ Jesus to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. So he says, take hold of the eternal life. Uh, in the presence of many witnesses, pursue godliness and righteousness. Keep hold of the commandment. Uh, speak, speak what's well. So the third thing he tells Timothy to do in these last days is don't let go and tell people what they want to hear. That's really easy to do. Tell you, I would love to be able to tell you that if you follow Christ, you will be rich and healthy and all your problems will be gone. I'd love to tell you that. I could lie to you. It's a, that's a great message. And if it were true, it would be awesome. And it's not. It's not a biblical message, right? Those who follow in Christ Jesus, we're going to have trouble. Just like everybody else. And it doesn't save us from trouble, right? I'd love to maybe say that I have the secret knowledge. People will tell you, you know. My my way is the only way, and I have the secret message, and, you know, you send this, buy my book, or do this, and, you know, I, I mean, you'll, it's, it's just not true. God loves you if you do the right thing. It's an easy sell. If he doesn't like you if you do the wrong thing. That makes a lot more sense to me than grace. It isn't biblical. God loves you because He's love, not because of your attitude or action or behavior. We trust Him in faith. So that Paul's Word to Timothy was, hang on to sound teaching. Please, 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 be careful who you listen to. Be careful what you read outside of Scripture. I know everybody's got their favorites, and I do too, and that's fine. There's lots of people who are good teachers. Please get sound teaching of people who pattern themselves after biblical thought. Finally, the fourth thing he encourages Timothy to do Follow the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus and by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Tells Timothy to be clear, just like Paul trusted Christ to keep what had been entrusted to Paul until the final day, he says to Timothy, guard the deposit. What does that mean? Well, I think of the, the image I got in this as I was thinking and praying about this is, you know, imagine when Nancy and I were in um, Italy a few years ago for our 25th anniversary trip. Uh, we went to all these incredible world-class museums, and we'd see these, you know, like priceless things, the Pietà and these things that you've heard about. They're just irreplaceable, just Michelangelo, the David, or whatever. And you know they're right out in the open? Like, you can walk up, you could scale it and walk up. And as a matter of fact, the Pietà, one of them, somebody came and attacked it. And they, they've tried to put it back together, but it's happened. But if you look around, there are people guarding this. And many of them, I mean, they're not behind glass cases. They're not obscured at all, but they're guarded well. 
I can only imagine that if I had stepped over that little rope that was in front of the David, I can imagine it would have taken them about half a second to have me on the ground with people watching. When we guard the deposit, it's not to obscure it and it's not to stand in front. If I was guarding this microphone, it's not like this. We're guarding the gospel. The point is, we have to be sure it's the real gospel. We have to be sure it's the grace and, and love of Jesus. And we guard it, and what we say is we, we're intently looking at it, just like I know those guards were intently looking at those priceless works of art. If I wanted to know whether it was a fraud or not, I would have studied it to make sure that the Mona Lisa or whatever piece, that wasn't, that's in, that's not in Italy, but, but if the piece of art, I would want to study it so that if somebody replaced it in the night, I could immediately say, no, it's something different. And you should, and we should be alert that if you hear somebody say something, oh, this is, this is how it is, this is the way of salvation, that we've studied and memorized it so to say, no, no, you are adding something to the gospel. It's not Jesus plus righteousness or plus your works. It's not Jesus plus anything. Timothy, Paul writes and says, look, I don't know how much time I've got left. I'm here. I want you to come before winter. I want you to be with me, but I want you to get this letter, and I want you to know, don't be ashamed of me. Be willing to suffer. Be willing to stand up for the gospel. Be willing to keep sound teaching. Be willing to guard what's been entrusted, because the Holy Spirit's quite capable if we'll keep our eyes focused on what's right. What's the true gospel? That a holy God, a holy God became a perfect man in order to bear the consequence of our sin. And on the cross, that perfect God-man Jesus took, took our sin, and now by faith alone, we can enter into a personal and loving relationship with Him. That's the gospel. There's nothing more valuable, there's nothing more meaningful, there's nothing more offensive. It's okay. We don't have to be offensive to have a message that in some ways might offend. And the reason it's okay is because it's true. It's the only way to salvation. It's the only way to God. Let's say it boldly. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, I thank You for Your love for us. I thank You that You have given us a treasure, a deposit, Lord, on something eternal, we ask, Father, as we go forth from this place, that we would rejoice that we're so rich. Not in material wealth necessarily, Lord, but in the, the greatness of the message, the greatness of the reality of the Gospel. So, Lord, take us from this place and help us to walk by faith, not by sight. Lord, we pray for our world, our nation, all that happens, Lord, we know that they're not the enemy, Lord, they're the prize. Father, those who don't believe just don't know, and Lord, we, we don't fight them, we don't fight flesh and blood. They're the prize to be won, Lord, for I was just as blind, and now I see by Your grace. So Lord, we ask that we would be given the spirit of love, to love those who disagree with us, Lord, to love You most of all. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.